This program is presented by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Hello, I'm Sarah Gregory, and today I'm talking with Dr. Jan Venier, a research microbiologist and the head of CDC's National Calicivirus Laboratory. We'll be discussing trends of norovirus in children around the world. Welcome, Dr. Venier. Yes, glad to be here. So to start, what is acute gastroenteritis, or AGE? Acute gastroenteritis is usually shown as diarrhea and vomiting. Um, and, and then usually for norovirus, then if you look at the number of people, that more than 50% of those people show vomiting, which is typical, very typical. But usually it's very sudden onset. We also call it explosive vomiting. The incubation time of norovirus is usually between the 18 and 24 hours. So it's not very short, but it's about a day. And then you, you find non-bloody diarrhea opposed to bacterial infections where you see often uh, bloody diarrhea. And how common is it? Norovirus um, diarrhea is the leading cause of, of outbreaks um, of this syndrome. And you can find it in people of all ages. For example, um, long-term care facilities and hospital wards, but also schools, primarily the, where people are congregated together. Uh, also think about what is often in the news early in the year on cruise ships. Yes, cruise ships. You do hear it a lot on, about cruise ships. A lot of diseases are caused by a specific pathogen. For example, whooping cough is caused by a bacterium called Botrytella pertussis. But your article says that noroviruses are associated with approximately 20% of AGE cases around the world. Does this mean that many different viruses all cause AGE? Yeah, there are actually five well-known viruses, and the most important one for which there currently is already a vaccine available, even here in the U.S., is rotavirus. But in addition to rotavirus, there are also viruses lesser known, uh, primarily causing uh, AGE or acute gastroenteritis in, in children called saproviruses and astroviruses and enteric adenoviruses. So in total, with norovirus together, we have five viruses, um, four of them are primarily causing disease in young children. And then uh, norovirus is the exception. Norovirus can cause this syndrome, this disease throughout your lifetime. So um, there is an age-specific group that's most at risk for norovirus. Um, you said children. What age children would that be? Yeah, the young children. When we look at, at the, the age spectrum, then we see primarily children younger than five years of age. And you can actually narrow it further down to the first two years of life. But then also, um, and I just mentioned long-term care facilities, if you look at outbreaks, then you see the elderly, and uh, so the older people with probably with waning immunity that are more vulnerable for norovirus infections. So it's the extremes of the age spectrum, the very young and the very old. And then also we have a group that we call the immune compromised. Think about people that have um, undergo cancer therapy, uh, so their, their immune system is suppressed. So they're also of increased risk for, uh, for infectious uh, with norovirus. And is it seasonal or does it just happen all year round? It, yeah, depending on where you are. It, it, but in the Northern Hemisphere, like here in, in the States, it is, uh, it's winter seasonality. Um, 
we usually say it starts around Thanksgiving, uh, late November, and then it's um, until the end of April. But it doesn't mean that during the summer months there's no norovirus activity. There are still outbreaks, but they're significantly less outbreaks than during the winter months. And that sort of follows along with cold and flu season. Um, why would that be? Yeah, that's that's a good point because that usually is the the activity that needs to be done by the laboratories in the in the laboratory, um, in, in the state health labs, for example, they have to deal with both with usually the same people that have to test for flu as well as they also have to test norovirus outbreaks. And we think it has to do with, uh, with the temperature in combination with humidity. Um, for example, in the, um, and that is supported by some studies that show that in the more tropical countries, you see that um, norovirus activity is higher in the in the dry season and not so much in the wet season. So we think it's a combination temperature and humidity. But many more viruses do have that seasonality. Okay, thank you. Are, you mentioned a vaccine for rotavirus, uh, so there's no other vaccines for this. Yeah, there are actually several vaccines in clinical trials against norovirus, and um, two of them have passed the initial phase one trials that basically looking at the appropriate dose and, uh, of course, if they are safe. Um, and at least one of those vaccines uh, will soon move to phase three trials. So there is a vaccine in the pipeline, and I'm always asked, well, how long will that take? Well, we think maybe between uh, three and five years from now. Uh, but who knows, with the new technology, as we have seen now for COVID, who knows that new technology can also increase the speed where these vaccines might be uh, available. And, and is this a, another children's vaccine, or is this for all ages? So the, one of the trials has been done in the U.S. military. And so uh, the expectation, and we also have the the, the, the elderly. I think it is... What, what we are thinking at CDC, that probably the, uh, some of those companies are trying to get uh, FDA uh, clearance for these vaccines for adults. Um, and one of the key reasons is that is that it is, uh, it will be, it's challenging to add an additional vaccine in an already crowded uh, vaccination schedule for the first, uh, you know, the first year of life for most kids. Okay. So your study used a dual typing strategy. Um, tell us what that means. We're basically typing two parts of the virus or two parts, um, uh, two genes of the virus. And so it's basically to more precisely identify uh, what kind of norovirus type we're dealing with. And you can compare it, with, for example, with influenza. Uh, we're talking about the H1N1 virus. That's also a dual typing system. So for norovirus, we have a similar system to be more precisely identify what strain we're dealing with. So as you said um, a little while ago, there's a lot of different types of noroviruses. Why is it important to keep track of all of them individually? Yeah, well, one of the keys, there's a very good question. And um, so one of the reasons is that we're not completely sure if infections with one type will give you protection against another norovirus type. And there are a total at least 30 different types that we are aware of. Um, and if you have vaccines that are under development, then you would like to have those vaccines ideally protect against all these types. So having at least uh, starting with the baseline, that's what this study's uh, intention was, this uh, um, 
global trends in norovirus genotype distribution is to try to get the baseline to which trains are circulating. Your study used um, data from a platform called NoroServe. Um, tell us about that. Yeah, NoroServe, the name refers to, obviously, to norovirus and service surveillance. Um, it is a global pediatric norovirus surveillance network. And that means we have identified collaborators globally in all, on all continents that are willing to participate um, in this study. And they are using a standardized protocol in the laboratory to identify and to type noroviruses. And then that information is uploaded to a central database that is coordinated by us here at CDC. So you analyze data on norovirus sequences um, collected from young children around the world during September 2016 through August 2020. What specifically were you looking for? This network, this NoroServe network, was basically tried to establish a global network. This is the first time that we are able to get a glimpse of what kind of viruses are circulating on different continents. And we were very interested, to, A, if to make it possible that everybody participating on the technical side of things to setting this up with the central database. Um, but the data that we were interested in is, is trying to see are there changes over the years in different parts of the world. And what did you find? We found that more than half of all of those norovirus infections belong to a single genotype. So that's an important one. And, um, but there are also other types that we found. And so, for example, a handful of types are causing the majority of all infections, although there are some differences. Did the most common types vary from country to country? Um, and if so, why would this happen? Yeah, th there was some variation. But uh, for several countries, we could not make it, uh, draw a conclusion, and that's primarily because the numbers of, of um, uh, sequences that those countries, those laboratories have been uploading were a little bit on the low end. So, um, but overall, it's these G24 viruses that are um, uh, commonly, that we're commonly seeing in, in, in all of the countries. And were there any findings that surprised you? Uh, not really, because we were really willing to have a baseline study, and we knew that the G24 viruses were important in outbreaks, but, um, and we have seen some studies here in the U.S. in hospitalized children that these same uh, types are also causing uh, disease, the same disease in young children. Um, so it was basically trying to see is that true globally. So that was not a surprise. We were expecting it based on what has been published in the literature. But I think this, this, this study was for the first time that we're using a standardized protocol. So all these laboratories we were providing with a protocol. This is the way how you generate those, um, uh, the typing information. Your study included data up until um, August 2020. How did the COVID-19 pandemic affect your results? Or did it? Yes, it did. And... Um, the numbers are lower, but not zero. Um, and a lot of the laboratories, the participants, have not been able to upload it because they have they worked on COVID <laughs> for the past year. Um, and next week, we will have some calls with all of the labs, and 
and to ask them when they expect to upload the data uh, from last year all the way up to uh, to date. Because we know there are there are there is information out there, but most of the laboratories don't have had the time to uh, um, to upload them to NoroServe. But it definitely has an effect. That's what we know. Okay. Um, as you said, your study focused on norovirus and young children. But in general, do young children get the same types of norovirus infection as older children or adults and just more of them? Or are they actually um, prone to different infections? Yeah, that's a very good question. And one of the, one of the areas that we're still trying to, um, to learn more, we know that children... Um, have a lot of infections during the first two years of life. That, that, that's not necessarily um, symptomatic infections. So not all the norovirus infections in young infants are leading to this uh, vomiting and diarrhea, which can be sometimes very severe. That's the reason why they're in the hospital with those, uh, with those symptoms and, uh, and make sure that they are um, properly uh, treated. Um, so what we see is certain types are more seen in young children than in the adults. And again, the adults, you see primarily the G24s, and then children see some other types of circulating. So we're trying to find out if these young infections during, young, during the first, let's say, six months of life, what they exactly are, and if they are able to generate protection. That information will be crucially important if... Um, a vaccine becomes available for the pediatric population, you need to exactly know which virus you, uh, in those first uh, six months when you typically vaccinate, uh, you should prevent uh, the most serious effects of this, uh, of this infection. Does this data help predict where and when future norovirus strains might circulate? Oh, we would love to. And I think we, we've, we've taken, uh, this is kind of the playbook of, uh, for influenza, for flu. Um, so the idea is that, that now we have a baseline, a global uh, picture of these trends that we can use that for hopefully predicting if a new strain arises. And we know for norovirus that happens quite frequently every, maybe not every year, but every a couple of years, we see new strains uh, emerging, and we hope that this network will help to be able to predict what those new strains are. And then obviously, with the vaccine in the future, if that vaccine needs to be reformulated. In your opinion, um, what's the biggest public health takeaway from this study? Um, centralized, uh, standardized, be able to um, have a global picture, so not being in for surprises that new strains are emerging in other parts of the world, and we are in the U.S. We're not looking at it. We're looking at that with a global, uh, a global vision. So we see what happens in other parts of the world, and then we know if how we, uh, for example, need to come up with a uh, an alarm that a certain new strain is 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 emerging somewhere else that at some point will end up in the U.S. So. We can then alarm uh, hospitals, we can alarm the state health departments and the epidemiologists that usually are investigating outbreaks. So uh, I think having this system in place will help us um, 
a lot into the future, and that is, I think, that's the biggest public health takeover. Tell us about your job at CDC, your career, and how did you become interested in this research? And as we've said, you're the head of CDC's National Calissavirus Laboratory. Um, what does it do? Yeah. Well, I, I've, I've I've been in love with these viruses uh, since my um, early days. I I uh, grew up in the Netherlands. I did my PhD there on these viruses. And uh, when I moved in the U.S. Uh, 21 years ago, I first uh, went to academia for five years and tried that out and enjoyed it. But then um, I couldn't resist to go back to my old love here at CDC um, in 2006. And I've been um, sticking around in these virus because there are so many different angles that uh, we can work on this. Um, I've started to develop a national system of uh, an outbreak surveillance system. It's called Kalishinet. Um, the virus cannot be grown in cell culture, but makes it very difficult to study. So we're working on that with uh, uh, very exciting new technologies. Um, and now we are also moving towards a more trying to get an international picture. So there are different aspects that um, that cover all kinds of uh, areas that norovirus is still not completely known. It's not the virus we know a lot about, for example, and polio that's already almost eradicated from the world. This is a virus that is maybe less severe, but it still uh, is associated with uh, a significant number of uh, severe infections, and primarily in young children across the world. And I think I'm, I'm very excited about this type of work, the NoroSurf, to connect with all these people. Most of these people I know in these laboratories across the world, um, or I've, most of them I've visited there in the local laboratory. And just having, setting up these surveillance network, that's really, that's really where my passion is. And um, so I'm very happy with finally the first product of this in the form of this paper in Emergency Infectious Diseases. Well, it's um, always wonderful to have something that's not been studied that much um, come to light. Uh, I have to ask you here, you said that the um, cells for Calissovirus couldn't be um, grown in cells, studied from the cells. Um, is that what you said? And, and why is that? Yeah, I think most viruses, there is traditionally is a cell line that can be, uh, that the viruses can be grown. And so you can measure infectivity. And once you can measure infectivity, then you can also test products, for example, hand sanitizers, um, and see if they're actually effective. So if the, if the sanitizers are effective, then you can uh, suggest that to as the best way how you can sanitize um, surfaces. If um, Imagine a lot of children that are in a child care center and they're all starting with vomiting and diarrhea. So how do you sanitize these, these, these environments uh, appropriately? Um, so having a, a laboratory method to measure infectivity for which you need to have a cell culture system, you can infect those cells with the virus and then you can measure if, um, with after treatment if you see a reduction of that infectivity. So that we've, we've tried and we in the field, all the people that work on norovirus globally, I've been working on the, trying to figure that out in the last 35, 40 years since the virus was discovered and described first in 1968. Um, and only recently there is a, a new system available that is uh, based on adult stem cells. You can actually s isolate uh, stem cells from the gut. 
and you put them in a Petri dish, and these cells can grow as really as mini guts. Um, they have all the cells that our gut, our small intestine has, and uh, that cell line is now able to to do what we were looking for. That's able to show replication of the virus so we can measure if it's infectious. And so now we can, um, for example, use chlorine um, and show that uh, chlorine is actually able to kill the virus. So that is a totally new area. Um, and it's a very exciting field that it's not only for noroviruses in mini goods, but it's also for other viruses that, for example, cause a neurological uh, neurological syndromes, for which there was not really a system available to, to better study that, but also these, these stem cell-related um, um, organoids is really something that has uh, opened up a lot of, the, lot of opportunities to come up with better treatment measures for different viral infections. Wow, that is astounding and wonderful, and after so long of studying it, that's... Um that's great, um, and probably will be very helpful to cruise ships, as we said early on, and all the yeah, <laughs> they're interested. Yeah, um, has your life changed much during the last year? I mean, new hobbies, interests, that sort of thing. Yes, um, yeah, working from home most of the time is, um, um, you know, you adapt to it. Um, I have not really had time for new hobbies because uh, we have also been involved in in trying to help out with the COVID response. So some of the methods that we were using in the laboratory for norovirus, we said, well, uh, there's some there are some ideas here that we can do um, and, and um, use for, for COVID-based research. For example, we had developed an assay for testing for antibodies in saliva. And saliva is a non-invasive. People, we ask people to spit in the tube, and they're more than willing to do that compared to, uh, you know, a blood draw. And so we just are um, uh, finalizing a study to, to look into saliva, looking for antibodies after uh, CDC vaccinees got their vaccine here at CDC. We enrolled 200 people, and we asked them to self-collect saliva samples and keep them in their freezer, and now we're asking them to bring them back to CDC. <laughs> That's logistical, uh, pretty challenging, but we, I think we are pretty successful so far with 80% of the people being able to return it back to the campus in Clifton. And, um, and now we're going to test them. We're going to look for antibodies. And that, that, that laboratory assay that was basically adapted from what we um, uh, did for norovirus like five years ago. And so we had the subject matter expertise for um, dealing with testing saliva samples, and we were able now to uh, to convert that to looking for antibodies against uh, coronavirus. That's incredible. I actually get a lot of people asking me um, about antibodies and where they can get tested and what kind of tests exist and stuff. So that's really good to know that there's something um, mm -hmm. yep. being tested. Huh. I didn't get my vaccine at CDC. I got it elsewhere, so I'm not involved in that test. But, well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today, Dr. Vignier. You're very welcome. And thanks for joining me out there. You can read the May 2021 article, Global Trends in Norovirus Genotype Distribution Among Children with Acute Gastroenteritis, online at cdc.gov eid. I'm Sarah Gregory for Emerging Infectious Diseases. 
For the most accurate health information, visit cdc.gov or call 1-800-CDC-INFO.